Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's movie podcast. First up today is Farewell director Lulu Wong. We talk casting Aquafina. Lulu wasn't too sure about her at first. The time Lulu almost left the business and why Secretary is one of her favorite movies. Then I've got Beanie Feldstein. The book smart star talks about one of her next major roles playing Monica Lewinsky. Also, Beanie opens up about coming out as queer. I'll have that and more after the break. Stick around. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care. Hey, everybody, this is Jake Brennan, host of Disgraceland and the 27 Club. I want to talk to you about another podcast that I produce called Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story. Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story is a 10-episode look at the madness and genius of record producer Phil Spector. Phil Spector and the music he created shifted and shaped American culture. But behind his famous wall of sound, there was a darkness, violence, and an intense inferiority complex that those who knew him and worked with him were all too familiar with and that led to the senseless murder of actress Lana Clarkson. With Phil's recent death in the news, Blood on the Tracks has become all the more relevant. Just like Phil Spector, this podcast sounds like nothing you've heard before, because you can't push the needle into the red without leaving a little blood on the tracks. Listen to Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Lulu Wang's A Farewell is one of the biggest movie stories of the year. She wrote and directed the semi-autobiographical indie about traveling to China to see her grandmother who's just been diagnosed with cancer. The movie has been huge at the box office, the critics love it, and it is getting a lot of award nominations. Here is Lulu Wang. Hi, Lulu. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Love the movie. Thank you. I mean, everybody loves the movie. Oh, thank you. What does that feel like? Like, this is a movie, you go, you pitch. People are saying, well, put a white guy in it. Do this, do that. And you got the movie you wanted made. It's very empowering, I have yeah. to say. Um, it's very validating, you mm. know? I think, not just for myself, but for other storytellers mm. uh, who have stories that, you know, the industry felt, you know, the market didn't necessitate. Um, in many ways, like, you know, the success of it, especially financially, is evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things that we've been told in the past that they're no longer able to say to us because right. there's evidence. Did Did you feel pressure that opening weekend? Because, you know, we know when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, marginalized communities, they're not allowed to fail. They fail that one, you know, one movie fails and it's like, see, we were right. Look, it didn't, it didn't work. Do you feel pressure? Yes. I felt a lot of pressure. Why? Um, You know, for that reason. Yeah. I felt like um, we weren't allowed to fail that 
as much as what I just said that you know the success of it is evidence of one thing, the failure of it is evidence of the other thing that they, right. that they were right. Right. You know, and so it's it's evidence for the world, it's evidence for the industry, but it's also evidence for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was so scared that the choices that I'd made, the the fights that I fought and that my entire team fought um that um that if it didn't work that they were right, you know, that it may be funny for me, it may <laughs> Um, means something for me, but that other people don't get it. That mm. it's it's um, you know what's the worst thing? That it's a niche film. But it's so universal. It's so universal. I mean, I look at obviously I'm not Asian. I'm not of Asian descent, but I'm a neurotic Jewish family, <laughs> and we have you know secrets. It's all about secrets. Um, so I mean, I I watched it and I just I saw my family. That was my family there. Thank you. And that's that's been the surprise, you know, for me, for a lot of people, because like I've gotten messages from Chinese Americans who said that they were in a theater filled with non-Asian people and they were like, oh, my God, this film was so specific. That is my family. That is. But I don't know that anyone else is going to get it. And Mm. then they're literally surprised because they'll (laughs) they'll see the white guy next to them laughing his head off right Right. and they're like wait you get this Mm. you know and i think that's such a magical experience and it makes me so happy that the film was in theaters because if it wasn't if people weren't seeing it in a room Mm. and feeling that all these people don't look like them are in that same room feeling the same emotions you know that's that I think that would be a huge loss. Tell me about the story you went the other day. You went to the Angelica Theater. Oh, yeah. I love that. And you did a Q&A with the one guy. Yeah. Well, you know so why? So what happened? Tell me the story. Well, okay. So um, my, so, so, you know, I've been on like the press tour and I haven't gone to the movie theater as an audience member. And it's kind of sad, you know, because... I'd like to just go and experience it because, you know, especially the Angelica or the Landmark. These are like theaters that I've gone to my entire life. And then on top of that, my best friend, Jim, um, he's been with me on this whole journey where I almost quit the film industry and was crying to him at dinner saying, you know, I'm never going to be able to have my voice in the film Mm. industry. And uh, and I've picked the wrong you know, medium to be a storyteller. And, you know, and then he he and I went to dinner when the film got into Sundance. Mm. Um, So he's been with me on, on, you know, this entire journey that it felt really meaningful that we would go to the theater um, as regular audience members to our favorite movie theater (laughs) in New York City. Um, And so, um, and we brought another friend. So the three of us just decided to go. And I was like, look, you know, nobody get your hopes up. I'm pretty sure it's going to be empty because it's like a 1030 screening, you know, on a Monday night. So we went and we were like, you were setting Wait. yourself up there. We were setting ourselves. I guess so. We were like, and then I had a friend who tell me, well, like, why don't you just tweet about it? Like, say that you're going to be there. And then a lot of people will come and I'll say, no, because that's not the point. I want to go want as a, a real, you real want that audience. audience. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so we, um, went and there was one guy and then we were like there's somebody there there's actually somebody in the theater and so i said 
like I am so happy. I can't believe this guy came out to the theater <laughs> at 10:30 at night on a Monday. Um, and I am gonna make his night. I'm gonna like, which is maybe a little presumptuous. <laughs> maybe he like was like, what the hell is going on? But I don't know. We had had a few drinks. We were like, this is gonna be fun. So uh, yeah, so that's what we did. I uh, it was very awkward, but and I had no idea that uh, so many people would respond to it on Twitter when I posted it. Well, that's like it. everyone's dream. It's like you go into a theater and there's the filmmaker and the film ends and you're the only one in the theater and you're like, you have these questions and it's like, okay, go. Yeah, but I mean, that's exactly, that would be my dream, you know? And so that's why I thought it would be fun because it's sort of like, like Bill Murray is my hero, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Bill Murray walking through McDonald's and stealing someone's french fry, right? Like It's like that kind of thing where you go, is this really happening? And I just think that's fun, so. And you have to think this guy, whoever it was, was a big movie fan. He was going to see your movie on a Monday night yeah. at 10 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, tell me about the first pitch meeting you had for the movie. Um, yeah, the first pitch meeting, I think, was with an American producer. Um, and it was just, you know, like what you would expect, like, Mm -hmm. wait, what is this film? It's all Chinese. It's about a Chinese grandma. Like how, how is that high stakes, you Mm. know? And what does it matter if we tell her or not? Because she's 80, she's going to die anyways. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's not high stakes the way that like Armageddon is high stakes, you know, (laughs) but like it's high stakes. But it's family Armageddon. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. If you love your grandma. Um, But yeah, it was a very tough sell, like, especially because I wanted to maintain authenticity in the casting and in the language. Um, And so, you know, it it just made me very aware, like, of what I was walking into of like, it's it's like you're a kid and you're just like, look, it's so great. I'm so excited. (laughs) And then suddenly everyone's like, oh, but it's not well made and it's kind of falling apart and it's kind of dirty. And you're just (laughs) like. Oh, <laughs> you know, you go back in your corner and you're like, oh, um, but I thought it was funny. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, but I did get this note from that producer, like, look, maybe it's a Chinese movie. I'm not saying it couldn't be a movie, but maybe it's just not an American one. And so I started um, putting together a list of Chinese investors and mm. I pitched one of them in Beverly Hills at like a Nest Cafe or something like in one of those coffee shops. I know exactly what you're talking about. You know what I mean? I'm painting the picture. Um, Right next to the All Saints. Yes. I know that. Exactly. Like, had our cappuccino. I started telling the story, and he was like, "Um, yeah, it would be great. Uh, I I, I like this American, this Western versus Eastern, but to properly represent that, like, maybe Billy has to bring home a boyfriend, like, you know, and he's got to be this, like, white guy who, like, can't even use chopsticks, and, you know. I was like, yeah, but I, that's that's not the movie I want to make. Next thing he's going to be like, let's make the Chinese get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I, yeah, and then it was also, like, actually, if you want to make this Chinese movie, it really shouldn't even be Billy's story. I mean, because she's too westernized. It should, you know, really be her cousin's story um, because he's more Eastern. And I was like, but I don't know how to tell that story. Right, you know? that's not the story you wanted to tell. Yeah, so then I knew even more that this was not a Chinese movie because the perspective of the main character, which is my perspective, is American. Like, if Billy, if I 
was not American, there would be no story. It would just be like, oh, look, they're doing what they always do. (laughs) And I'm totally okay with it. (laughs) No conflict. (laughs) Like the conflict comes from the fact that she is now an American. Right. And the rest of the family are as well. And it comes from, you know, the gaps that this one family faces when they are separated by, you know, an ocean, by culture, by generations, like, and yet there's, they love each other nonetheless. They're one family, but they're spread all over the world. Mm. Yeah, that's the point of the story. Right. So you were saying earlier with your friend Jim that, you know, there was times where you were crying and you were going to leave the business. Yeah. What 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 told you to leave the business? When did you th- when did you think that? Um, it was really after I did the This American Life mm. story. Um, it wasn't even you know the rejection that made me want to leave the business because I'm used to rejection. I've been dealing with it my mm-hmm. entire career. Uh, I always knew it's an uphill battle, and in many ways, I've never stopped to like say, oh, it's because I'm a woman. Oh, it's because um, I'm Asian. You know, like I was raised with the immigrant mentality, Mm -hmm. which is that you have one reality and you're never going to be a man. You're never going to be anything but Asian American. So don't stop to complain about it. Just keep going and Mm -hmm. go do what you want to do. And so that kind of... um, forward momentum is how I approached my whole career was just like, just keep going, just keep going. Like, don't stop. If there's like a door, just like knock it down or walk around it. Right. And the moment that I really stopped was when I did this American life, because the producers didn't say, Oh, that's a great story. Now, how do we change it so that we can market it? Who's the audience, Mm. you know, and how do we um, tailor the story for that audience instead, because they're journalists and, um, you know, they're very investigative. They said, I can't believe that happened to you. I didn't know this kind of thing happens. How did you feel? You know, mm. how did your family deal with this? How are you dealing with it now? Mm. Um, can we interview your family? Why don't, you know, so like that approach of somebody just saying, e- even the producer who approached me to want to bring the story to This American Life, it started out um, where Neil Drumming, uh, the producer, asked me this question, which is, I love your voice. What are the stories that you want to tell that Hollywood is not letting you tell? Like no one had ever asked me that question mm. before. And for someone to actually just say like, what is it that you want to say? Um, and how do we help you do that? Was so empowering. And the whole process of telling the story was so pure. You know, I, um, had, after I wrote it, we, Neil and I were in a studio alone at 10 o'clock at night recording it with a, glass of whiskey and it was just me like right now into the microphone knowing that within a couple days people were going to be able to hear my story Mm. and that was so powerful that afterwards I was out celebrating with Jim and and um I started crying and and he was like this is great like you finally got to tell your story and I said yeah but it made me realize like this is why I became a storyteller you know was to tell these stories, to, to investigate, to dig, mm. you know, and to create space for the emotions and the people that we don't always get to see. Mm-hmm. And it gives permission for everybody to, 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 you know, find the space and to feel these things, right? Um, and I said, 
I'm never going to have that in Hollywood. And this is, I've been fighting the last, you know, like eight years to be a filmmaker. But what if I never get to have this experience again, this kind of purity of storytelling? Mm. Why am I doing this? You know, it costs so much money to make movies. And I do this one podcast and it reaches 4 million people in two weeks. So we talk about the power of cinema, but like if it's all, you know, like, about marketing an audience and tailoring and you're not telling authentic stories, then who cares if there's power in the, in the medium, in the mm-hmm. tool, right? If the message and the stories that you're telling aren't meaningful and don't have the values that I carry. Mm. And so I said, you know, I think I'm going to try to work in public radio because they also paid me more than anyone's <laughs> ever paid me, which is the sad thing, right? I was right? just going like, to say, whoa, you must have been making big bucks. Right? I mean, if, if I'm getting, you know, like a sustainable right. wage from public Health radio. insurance, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, but, you know, then, of course, the story came out. And within 48 hours, I had these producers calling and wanting to make it into a film. But at that point, because I was ready to quit, because I knew the difference now of mm. like the purity of storytelling versus the other way that right. I had been, you know, compromising myself to in many ways. Um, that's when I said, you know, yes, I'll meet with these producers, but they have to know I am not going to compromise on the language. Mm. I'm not going to compromise on the casting. Um, this is the kind of story that I want to tell. And, um, and, you know, the producers that, ultimately agreed to those terms um, are the ones that I chose to work with. So the movie comes out, people start seeing it, and there's a thing called Oscar buzz, and that starts happening. What's going, what, what was like the first headline you wrote or someone you know, texted you going, um, the headline says Oscar buzz for your movie. Like, what's going through your head? I guess I don't take it very seriously, mm-hmm. you know, because I think, um, I, I actually worry about that stuff because, you mm. know, I have Chinese parents and a Chinese mother who wh- whenever things are too good, she's like, keep your head down, you know, be careful. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that Jewish moms are the same. It's yeah. very much like, well, it's good now, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it was always just sort of like, you know, one step in one step at a time, you know, one foot in front of the other, like. Let's make sure that the film gets a good release, you know, that, you know, people are going to come out and watch it. Let's, um, yeah. And so, I don't know. I guess here we are. It's been a whirlwind, so I haven't really processed it. (laughs) When do you get to process it? Are you like laying in bed at night and just sort of pinch yourself and be like, you know what? This worked the way I wanted it to work. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And um, I think in a way the thing people don't realize too is that in a way it's it's um it's a bit of a a death as well when you do achieve your dream mm-hmm. you know because suddenly you go this is beyond my wildest dreams right. now what right. you know and also expectations are higher for your you know me for myself but also probably the world right because in a way you feel like people are watching now whereas before you're like i'm just going to go into my room and do this thing and people may or may not see it and I don't care. There's a, and there's a safety in that. There's a safety in saying, okay, I'm going to do this. If I'm not, if I'm not putting it, how do I say this? If I'm not putting it so out in the world as saying, this is going to be a movie. Once you say that you're setting yourself up for that rejection. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And also, 
you need some for some level like it, it's important to go this is going to be a movie so that it feels like reality so you're working towards something right. right but i'm i think my goal now is trying to get myself back to that same place mm. you know to um work on my next project and and that i'm not you know creating under any kind of pressure and and try not but it's like um it's like a mind trick you know mm -hmm. you have to not think about like what the response is going to be so that you take the same kinds of risks right. and i think that's the biggest fear for me mm. is that um the success or publicity or any of it like affects how i approach my work and mm. that i have a greater fa fear of failing mm. because you can't be afraid of failing if you're going to take real risks as right. an artist and um and when more people are watching it is much harder to fail um so and then casting of course aquafina we've heard you know we've heard you talk about seeing her tape and saying you know what she's the one she, you brought her to a whole other level that's pretty amazing yeah well she did it you know she always had it in her mm -hmm. and i think all i did was see it in her and encourage her and and give her the comfort to know that she can do it i mean because again i'm talking about risk right? right and risk of failure like the thing that's so amazing about nora is um she's willing to take those leaps and she doesn't wait till she knows that she's ready she leaps first right. and then she's like oh crap what did i just get myself <laughs> but into that's the can best I kind of person you want to work with exactly. you want that exactly and so you know i just told her that um because she admitted to me like most of her childhood she turned to comedy because it she knew that she had the superpower of being able to like crack a joke and lighten the tension in the room mm -hmm. and, and she had a hard upbringing and her mother passed away when she was young and um and so she was able to lighten you know any kind of tension by by just like dissipating it with a right. joke the challenge in this film was to actually not do that mm. because she is such an innately funny person and um, she turns to comedy for a lot of things, you know, when she's feeling uncomfortable or mm -hmm. when she's feeling open, she just is funny. But I needed her to actually not dissipate the tension. I needed her to actually carry all of those feelings mm. and channel it into the character. Um and so, um, I, yeah, I just had to encourage her to do that because it's a different muscle, mm -hmm. you know? It's a dif different muscle than, like, deflecting, right. like, feelings, actually, like, holding oh, on to yeah. the feelings and channeling them. Um, and, you know, being in China can be very uncomfortable for somebody who is Asian-American and who has family from there because you feel like in some ways you should be connecting with that country, with the people, mm -hmm. and other people look at you as if you should and then you don't. And it's just very complicated. And so I know that she and I both felt a lot of those things being there. And so, again, I just had to, you know, get her to, like, embrace those things. Mm -hmm. um, and And she did. And you refer to her as Nora, which mm -hmm. is her birth name. Was there ever a time where you were thinking that's how she should be credited by her birth name? Or yeah, absolutely. Hmm. She and we talked about it actually because we talked about, you know, who actually gets to transition from, you know, um, a rapper name or uh, mm -hmm. 
in, in, into their real names, right? Like, because it's a marketing thing. It's like once you've established that brand, um, your team is often afraid to change that brand because mm. people are not going to recognize it. And that was a fear for us as well. It's a smaller film. You know, at, at that point, she had been building brand recognition, um, having done Crazy Rich Asians and Ocean's mm-hmm. 8, and she was getting bigger and bigger that we were worried people wouldn't recognize Nora Lum. Mm. And so, um, but, you know, I, but what she and I talked about was she didn't bring Aquafina to this role. She no. brought Nora Lum, right. you know, because Aquafina is a character, a character right. that she created. Um, but this film, this character is very much Nora. So um, I don't know what she'll do in the future. <laughs> but And then next, uh, next movie up for you, sci-fi. Yes. That's a leap. <laughs> yeah, I've been um, wanting to do that story for a while. Like I was adapting it even um, before I made the farewell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. It's it's very grounded. You know, it's not um, sci-fi in that way. It's ultimately about a relationship, about a family, about mm-hmm. children, and why we have them or don't have them. Um, and so it's um, a story and a genre through which I can explore some of these questions mm-hmm. and themes. So what's the one movie you could watch over and over again and you never get bored? Oh, Secretary. Yeah, why is that? Well, it's actually, I I don't know if I talk about this very much, but it's the film that made me want to make films, actually. Really? Tell me more about that. Uh, Well, I was taking a feminist film theory class, and that Mm -hmm. was one of the assignments. And um, At Boston College? mm Mm-hmm. At BC. At BC, feminist filmmaking. Wow. Yeah. I went to BU, so I know uh, that. <laughs> so we have a sucks to be you. I have to say that. I have to say that. <laughs> wow. You're going to go there now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, no, I have I, no school pride. So. By, by the way, I don't either. I did it in three years because it was too expensive. So I would take summer classes at UMass Boston so I could get the credits and get out. Oh, <laughs> I just uh, had a lot of fun with my friends and that's what I use college for. Um, but my senior senior year was the most productive year because it is the year that I discovered filmmaking because mm. I had gotten all of my core credits out of the way and I was taking electives. And so, yeah, I, and I took world cinema. I took photography, was developing my own film. I took, you know, film production, shot on Super 8. Um, and then I took this film, feminist film theory class and it was great. Uh, I just remember watching Secretary, funnily enough, on a tiny computer screen in the computer lab. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And all these people walking around, and I've got my headphones on, watching Secretary, and people would come by, and I was, I was like convinced that they were like, "What is she watching?" You know, I was like, I wanted to be like, "No, it's for school, I swear." Uh, you know, walk by with like, like Maggie did, Gyllenhaal with a carrot in her right, mouth. Right, like, how did you get through the firewall on that one at the school? Exactly. No, it was like a DVD. Like you could, you know, borrow and watch it in the lab. Um, but I just, rem- it was such like. Um, an interesting experience because so much of the film is about voyeurism Mm -hmm. and it is about like intimacy and, um, and I'm watching it on a small screen, but publicly, you Mm -hmm. know, where anybody could see me watching it. And so I had feelings about how people were judging me while I was watching this thing. But, and and then I was like, but I like it, you know, and it was just like all of these things. And I thought, wow, this is, so interesting and it's also the female gaze you know Mm -hmm. maggie is so spectacular in that and even though she's in um um you know 
the position of being dominated. Mm-hmm. I would say it's still very much her story. It's about her actually gaining and finding her power within mm-hmm. that dynamic. And uh, I just hadn't seen films like that before. And so um, that really explored um, female desire, female okay. sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hot. It felt authentic. Exactly, exactly. It felt, it wasn't hot because of the objectification right. and it wasn't the male gaze. It was hot because she was in power ultimately. Yes. And it was about a woman who gains control and power. Um, and it was also just... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. Like that's, but that, but that's that's the film, and it, that it, it's so unexpected too, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it goes into something that's taboo, but makes you kind of not judge it, you mm-hmm. know. It makes you understand it. Um, and so I thought, um, I thought, and it was romantic, you know. It was mm-hmm. so romantic. So yeah, I always I always love watching that film. The cinematography and the production design mm-hmm. is incredible. So, Lulu, thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. That was Lulu Wong. Coming up after the break, Beanie Feldstein talks about playing Monica Lewinsky in Ryan Murphy's upcoming American Crime installment about the Clinton impeachment. Plus, Beanie also gets candid about coming out as queer. It's safe to say 2020 was one of the most difficult years ever for so many. And these remain very challenging times. That's why I'm here to ask you, how can I help? My name is Dr. Gail Saltz, host of the new weekly podcast, How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, a psychoanalyst, best-selling author, and I'm here to help. Join me every Friday, where you can ask your most pressing questions and get helpful guidance on topics ranging from coping with anxiety and mood, relationships, to family and parenting issues, to workplace dynamics, to dealing with COVID fatigue, and everything in between. While it has been a tough time, you don't have to navigate it alone. So, how can I help? You can send your questions anonymously to me at help at SenecaWomen.com and I will answer with specific advice and understanding. Listen to How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Beanie Feldstein. I sat down with Beanie and caught up with her at the Savannah Film Festival last month, just before she was honored with a breakout award. Have you been here before? No, and it's so lovely. It's very lovely, except it's been raining. You came, there's no rain, which is good. Everyone's so nice, and the facilities are so beautiful, and everyone's so engaged. So nice. Are you getting used to this sort of going to like film festivals and getting awards? (laughs) No, (laughs) I don't think it's something you'll ever get used to. It, um, but Savannah is so lovely, and and this festival is so just like really warm and special, and and feels like it's for the students as much as it's for the filmmakers, and and the actors and everyone else, and that's really special and um, just a beautiful energy to be around. What was the first sort of reaction you got from someone who saw the movie, whether they saw you on the street or they tweeted at you that you knew like, okay, we've we've done the yeah, right thing here. It was we've actually in person. Um, I'll never forget this moment ever at um, South by Southwest in yeah. Austin. Mm-hmm. We had a, a, I think it's about like 1500 seat 
Theater yep. for our premiere, the Paramount, I think the it's Paramount, called. Yep. And um, we, the whole cast was there. The energy was like electric. Caitlin and I were like shaking and holding <laughs> hands the whole Q&A. And an audience member, young girl, came up and she started talking. And then in the middle of her sentence, she kind of got choked up and got really emotional. And she was like, I was the valedictorian of my high school. And I remember looking out and feeling like I didn't know anyone. And mm. I feel so seen by this movie. And I wish I could have seen this movie a couple years ago. And she started like getting verklempt, as we would say right. in Yiddish, but like yes. choked up and wow. teary. And in front of 1,500 people really poured her heart out to us about how seen she felt by my character in particular, but the whole film. And mm. um, that we I will we all kind of like a chill got sent through all of our spines. We were just like, this is this is this who is we made of, this right. movie for, and and just to, to you know for her bravery to come up and say that in front of a right. huge room is so beautiful. Did you know when you were making the movie that was? I mean, but I'm I'm assuming it was a goal. Yeah. But did you know it was going to hit? Like, you know, there are times you're probably making a movie or you're making a TV show, or what have you, and you're like, you know what, this really isn't working. But this feels like just talking to the cast at that premiere and, yeah. and South by. You know, everyone just seemed like a big family. I think you all stayed in like the same house yeah, in it Austin. Was, <laughs> it was electric on the set. I think right. what was so special about the way Allison Jones and um, Olivia collaborated to create the cast is mm -hmm. that it really felt like a group of people that were so fresh and so excited, but mm -hmm. also supremely talented across the board and so um, giving of themselves and mm. creating the characters. And so... We had just literally the best time. And Olivia is made of energy and she's like a force to be reckoned with. And we were doing all night shoots and she was constantly like energetic and playing music and creating such a special vibe for mm. us as like a young group of actors. And that was something that was, you could feel in the air, right. but you can never kind of can predict a right. reaction. Um, Caitlin and I were together when we saw you this mm -hmm. weekend and We've been getting so many Halloween costumes, as we told know, you, and that's been, that's been amazing. so fun. Did you and expect that at all? No, like the <laughs> level of specificity and detail <laughs> that they captured was, it was like being back at our fitting, and <laughs> it was, it, it's so fun. And I think, you know, to have two best friends come up to you holding hands and say, like, this movie is our friendship is, there's nothing, there's really nothing better. Yeah, for me, that was... Must have been pretty in pink. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall. Yes. And Molly Ringwald, but I didn't have the hots for her. Or anything. I was the gay kid. I was the gay kid, but I looked like Anthony Michael Hall. My best friend looked like Molly Ringwald. Yeah. And that was our movie, oh, you know, like Booksmart. I love that. I think you don't forget that movie, and so no. to be a part of that for for people now is like sort of surreal feeling. And we've talked about how obviously it's. It's not, I, I wouldn't say like it's a pro-queer movie. It's just, it has a queer sensibility. There's queer lives in it. I think How important so in, is that Yeah, I, I mean, incredibly important as someone who is queer. I think it's, what I love so much about Booksmart is that it's, coming out stories are incredibly important and so beautiful. But I feel like in the media, we don't have enough of a narrative about what happens after that once you are just out and queer and young right. and in high school. Um, if you do see queer stories in high school, they typically are about the coming out right. versus just the living. <laughs> and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, what I love so much about 
Olivia and Katie Silverman, who wrote Booksmart, and Caitlin's portrayal of Amy, at, is that it's such a lived-in experience. And also, first of all, she's not the only queer character in the movie. There's right. so many queer characters in the <laughs> film, and they all have completely different perspectives, energies, uh, interests, passions. Right. And so just to see that level of diversity and not just being stereotyped into one specific thing. But Caitlin always says, like, if you were to describe her character, Amy... The fact that she likes girls would maybe be the eighth thing about her. And um, that's how I feel with my sexuality. Like, I'm queer and I'm madly in love with my girlfriend, but I I don't necessarily think it's the first thing you would say about me. And so the, the way that was portrayed on screen was really um, impactful for me as a person to watch. Um, I didn't find myself as early as Caitlin's character did. Um, mine was a later kind of discovery. But to watch a character just be queer and that be part of but not her entire character mm. um and so beautifully portrayed and also the fact that the one sex scene in the film is a queer sex scene and so that forces heterosexual people to relate themselves to that and then mm. realize that it's all the same experience the fumbling right. of the shoes the awkwardness <laughs> the excitement the joy the the passion yes. all of it and we all feel the same thing no matter if it's two men hooking up a boy and a girl a girl and a boy two non-binary people right. two women it's that feeling is the same and mm. i think that's what's so beautifully captured in the movie was there ever a point though in your career where someone said beanie don't don't come out as queer no um again i found myself much later so this has been much more of a recent discussion right. but um never once and but that's that's really that's, I, that's privilege that's a very privileged perspective to be in and i recognize that and i'm incredibly grateful for that um but the movie made me want to live as openly as i can because the level of response we've been getting i mean that's what i would have done anyway but the level right. of response we've been getting from young lgbtq plus queer people has been just like beyond our wildest dreams um right. and i'm so in awe of caitlin and that, and that saves lives you yeah. know i said it to ben actually when i interviewed him for the podcast a few yeah. weeks ago i said yeah i said you realize you are going to help save lives yeah. you know i think about you know when i was a kid and you know being this closeted kid in high school if i had a beanie if i had a ben yeah. i didn't have anything like that I when know. i was growing up and it's and I, you know, I was I was lucky enough to grow up in a very liberal, open, progressive community and family. Right. But even still, it took even me still, a while yeah. to figure myself out um, in that realm. And I think that's also important to acknowledge because not everyone that doesn't always happen for everyone in high school. Right. Um, and I'm sort of so I'm sort of on the journey of it now. And um, I think that's also like a great narrative to tell. And I think the more diversity of narrative and thought and mm -hmm. expression in the queer community that we have, the better off everyone is. So now I have to talk to you about Monica Lewinsky. Okay. <laughs> Monica, were you even alive when it all happened? <laughs> I was, I was very young. You were like, you were a baby. Yes, I'm 93, yes. <laughs> so I was, I was young. Um, how do you even begin to prepare for something that's so, in a weird way, it's like pop culture iconic? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously something very serious. Totally. I, I can't say too much, not because I'm not allowed to, but mostly because we haven't started yet. Right. So I don't have that much to give. But I I am in complete awe of Monica Lewinsky. She's mm. always been an inspiration of mine, the really? way she's used her voice mm. and um, her powerful work in anti-bullying activism and um, 
she's just an incredibly inspirational, awe-inspiring woman to me. And we also have a lot in common. We both grew up in LA doing theater, <laughs> chubby, um, and... You probably have people in common. Our, our, yeah, <laughs> our sort of... The world she grew up in is so similar to the world I grew up in. And then, right. So I felt an instant connection to her background and her story in that way. Um, but I, I think we're all just deeply excited to go on this journey together. Uh, I'm a producer. Monica's a producer. Sarah Paulson is my favorite actor mm -hmm. to ever <laughs> exist. So um, when Ryan told me that she was going to play Linda Tripp, I had to grab, I was like in a kitchen and I grabbed the oven door and I was like shaking. Um, so to, to learn from her as a young actor is the something wow. that I'm, it feels like I, I won the lottery, but to, to be the vessel that brings Monica's story to life, I, I see as an incredible privilege and one that I do not take lightly, and I'm extremely honored. And one quick question before, but before I leave you or yes. you leave me, um, what's the one film you could watch over and over again and you never get bored? There's three. Okay. I'll, I'll say uh, uh, Bridesmaids. Why? Because I saw it at 17, the <laughs> week before I graduated high school, in the theater at midnight with Ben and our other best friends, and it was the most impactful theater going experience I've ever had to see that many women that funny in different ways and allowed mm. to just completely take up every space in any way they wanted to was so impactful on me and wow. so many I mean like Sir Sharon and Caitlin Deaver we talk about it all the time because as young women to see our comedy being beloved in that way was sort of something that I had never really seen before right. um, and the other is Funny Girl I'm just going to say why but yeah, go Babs because <laughs> Babs because Babs, Babs. Beanie, thank you. this was this so was fun this thank fun. you that was Beanie Feldstein thanks for listening to The Big Ticket I'm your host Mark Malkin coming up next week Aquafina, Adam Sandler and more see you then and don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin Mark Malkin